What's going on, New York Giants fans? We are less than 48 hours away from New York Giants football against the Denver Broncos at 4.25 Eastern Standard Time. It's 1 o'clock on the West Coast, but I don't cater to the West Coast. But if you are a Giant fan that listens to this podcast on the West Coast, well, thank you for doing so. Uh, if you guys haven't already, the YouTube people, like, comment, subscribe. Turn on notifications so you know when a live stream pops up, it drops. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast on Spotify, Podbean, all those other platforms, keep watching, uh, or I should say keep listening, but do watch on YouTube if you get a chance. You know, that's the visual version, you know, that's what I'm saying. Uh, obviously, I got the background, the Twin Towers. Uh, it is an emotional day. I really haven't ever done a video or anything like that on 9-11. But it's the 20th anniversary, so I might as well just, you know, do the background like that. And no, I'm not getting political. Uh, this has nothing to do with politics, but, you know, it's just remembering the heroes lost on that day. Um, but that being said, let's go into some brighter topics. Let's go into football. I have a lot of things to talk about today, so this is probably going to be about 50 to uh, an hour long, I would say. Uh, we got the Matt Parrott and Nate Solder situation. We got the injury report. Practice squad protection, 2020 stats, thing to look for, um, and players to watch as well. Questions to answer, keys to win, and beginning of the season speech. Uh, that's new. Most of the stuff is new because I'm trying to reform the podcast and the way I'm doing previews and stuff. So let's talk about the Matt Parrot, Nate Solder situation. I didn't really reveal my thoughts with Paul Dettino on. Uh, it was kind of a quick thing. It was like 30 minutes because Paul had another interview to do, but... Shout out to Paul, man. Listen, a lot of Giant fans really don't like him because they feel like he defends the Giants a lot and he makes excuses for them. Um, you know, whether that's true or not, listen, obviously fans will have issues with people and people will have issues with people, but he's one of the nicer guys out there that really reports on the Giants. And whether you're being negative or positive, you know, there's a lot of beat reporters out there that don't want to come on this channel or come on other channels. You know, they could care less about uh, small Giants content creators, you know? But I just thought I'd make that statement. Anyway, back to the Matt Parrott and Nate Solder situation. So, I try to be a little positive, try to be on the silver lining of things with this whole Nate Solder, Matt Parrott situation. Obviously, via the depth chart, um, Nate Solder is the starter for Sunday. And... You know, a lot of Giants fans are unhappy. They're like, why is Matt Parrott not starting? Uh, why is Nate Solder starting? Why is he not ready yet? We saw in the preseason that Matt Parrott did not look great. He didn't. He didn't look great. He got beat by Bryce Huff. He struggled in the Pats game. The practices against the Browns. Stuff like that. And... A lot of people are saying this, and I'm giving you that perspective, and then I'm going to go on my perspective. A lot of people are saying, well, just let Matt Parrott struggle because at least he's getting some game action. Here are my thoughts on it. One side of me absolutely agrees with those fans, you know, because I do believe Matt Parrott is the long-term option right now at right tackle. Though he has some bumps and bruises in the process of that because he is a third-round pick. Out of one of the worst programs in the country, 
I mean, their head coach literally just resigned. So, that has to tell you something, right? So, obviously, I agree with those fans. And I think he should be starting. That's one side of me. That's one side of my heart. That's one side of my brain. Uh, but the other side of me really thinks, and I really just came up with this analogy that I'm probably going to uh, relay to other Giants fans if they want to be positive about it. Because you know what? Why not be positive? You know, you know, uh, we are not even into game time yet. We're not even ga in game action, excuse me. And people are saying, ah, oh, we should have picked Slater. We should have picked somebody. We should have picked Darisaw. Whatever. We have not seen Matt Parrott, Nate Solder in action yet. Sure, we saw him in the preseason. But that is totally different from the regular season. With, obviously, some differences. The Giants' offensive line in 2018 and 2019, they looked good in the preseason. Giving the running back holes, this and the other thing. Well, they were trash in the regular season. They got worse as the year went on. So, what does that tell you? Preseason, it means something for the backups and the underprivileged players. But, you know, when the playbook is vanilla, you see less of what your offensive line could be. So that's why we thought, hey, this offensive line looks good for Daniel Jones in 2019. We didn't know Nate Solder was going to have a horrific season. But my point is this, and this is the other side of the argument. I've been really pushing it to the side. Say you have a roast chicken. Okay, say you're having guests over, and those guests are the fans. And that roast chicken is, let's say, Matt Parrott. And the people that are cooking that roast chicken in the oven is the Giants coaching staff. It's the Giants organization as a whole. And that oven is his development time. Or you could say the timer is his cooking time, whatever you want to call it. So, let's just say your oven, and this is really the part where it doesn't make sense, but you'll probably get it once I further explain it. The oven is maybe old, or let's just actually uh, further go into it and say that the chicken takes a long time to cook, and the chicken takes an hour to cook but it's not really looking too brown at about 55 minutes it's looking more white you know the skin on the outside it's still not to color yet it's not crispy it's not whatever you want it to be and the fans are like meaning the guests at the table I want my dinner now which is the fans being like you know we want to see Matt Parrott we want to see him struggle, him take this for himself and his development. And the oven and the people cooking the product, Giants coaching staff, Joe Judge, Rob Sale, Pat Flaherty, all those guys, are saying, this chicken ain't ready yet. Matt Parrott's not ready yet. So... 
I don't want to shove him onto the field because we all knew Matt Parrot was a project from the beginning. We knew this. This wasn't going to be, oh, well, you know, he's going to start this year. No, that was never going to be the option. I think a lot of things would have turned out differently had Nate Solder not opted out. We wouldn't have had Cam Fleming start or Matt Parrott may have not seen as much time as people have anticipated or possibly what he got last year. So what are my final thoughts on this? I'm not jumping ship. I'm not like the people on Twitter saying, well, you know, the Giants should have taken Rashawn Slater. He was on my list for the Giants to take at 11th overall before they traded down. But I'm not going to regret putting my faith into Matt Parrott until I see some action. Because we don't know. Rashawn Slater could absolutely look like garbage against that Washington defense, that Washington front. And Matt Parrott may look fine against Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and some of these other guys. I'm not saying it will happen. But it's always a possibility. So, what are my final thoughts? I'm not jumping ship. I'm not saying, oh, you know, we had to pick Slater there. We shouldn't have traded down, whatever. I'm not doing that. But at the second half of the season, I would like to stop this rotational stuff. And I would like to see Matt Parrott start. Because he needs full games to develop. It's pretty much my opinion. So, let's go into the second part of this podcast episode. The injury report. Now, it was pretty big for the Giants, and a lot of people were getting worried. Joe Judge comes from Belichick. Belichick did this a lot. Tom Brady was on the injury report constantly in New England. He'd play every week. So a lot of people were like, oh, this guy's not going to play. That guy's not going to play. Whatever. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, and Kyle Rudolph are cleared to go. They're playing on Sunday. So... I don't know the reason to be worried in that aspect. Now, if you want to take a look at the Broncos first, because I'll let the opponent kind of hear this first if there's Broncos fans listening to this podcast episode. Bradley Chubb has an ankle injury. I think he was limited in the latest practice, and he's questionable. He could have been limited. He may not practice. But I'm pretty sure he was limited. I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play. It's going to be really disappointing if he doesn't play. Because you take a look at the numbers. And I don't have the numbers on me. So feel free to do some research. Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. Their production together is huge. When one is off the field, it's not so huge. Bradley Chubb only had seven and a half sacks last year. I'm pretty sure he was their number one guy. So that's something to note. And Von Miller, it's not like he's coming off of, you know, this great season. No, he's coming off an injury. I'm pretty sure it was an ACL. So do you really want Von Miller just rushing alone out there? I mean, I don't know the other pass rushers they may have picked up or drafted. But those are the top two guys. And they will attempt to wreck this game for the Giants in the offensive line. 
if we don't get our shit together. And I'm pretty sure Vic Fangio knows that and Joe Judge knows that. So, in terms of the Giants, Evan Ingram is out with a calf injury. I'm not surprised. Uh, This is Ingram's thing of just being out. You know, if it's not a season where he drops passes that turn into turn excuse me turn into interceptions it's a season where he's going to be out five six games a season and he's nowhere near in my opinion earning an extension he's nowhere near just deserving an, an extension excuse me so we'll see with him but i don't think he's playing week two either because it's a short week we're going to washington stuff like that You take a look at the questionable side of Dory Jackson with the ankle injury, Saquon Barkley with the ACL injury. Now, someone did mention this, and I'm going to agree with it for right now. Obviously, the Giants running game is big this game. We'll talk about it later. Saquon Barkley. Obviously, there might be a pitch count. There may not be a pitch count. We'll see what happens. Dory Jackson needs to play, in my opinion. Now, obviously, in Tennessee, he had inconsistencies and injuries and all this other crap. Hopefully that does not show up here, but he needs to play. Because though the weapons for the Broncos offense may not seem like Tampa Bay was on Thursday night with Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, uh, and Chris Godwin, and may not seem like that offense, but they're still good receivers. And the Giants need cover corners. And I don't really know if I'm confident in... Radarius Williams or Sam Beal to go out there and play corner alongside James Bradbury in the first game of the season against those type of targets. Will they get action? We don't know because they always have that stupid seven inactive rule. They always have that stupid rule and guys get ruled inactive. Healthy scratches. RJ McIntosh last year, some of the other guys, Jackson Barton, whatever. You know, use the examples as you will. But Adoree Jackson needs to play. And I think he will play. But if he doesn't, that's going to be a big loss for the New York Giants. And I think if that's going to be a bigger loss, and I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but you know, once again, I'll mention it. What that person said is that Adoree Jackson is more important for this game than Saquon Barkley is. Because the Giants can run it with Brightwell, with Booker, with Eli Penny if they want. They can run it with them. Dealing with an injury at the second corner spot and putting Sam Beal and Radarius Williams in? I don't feel too great about that, honestly. So, both those guys, Dory Jackson and Saquon Barkley, are questionable. Uh, practice squad protections. The Giants protected David Moa, Chris Myrick, and Ryan Izzo. Izzo or Myrick is likely being activated because they're both tight ends. They're likely being activated for the game. Uh, they didn't sign another tight end in the roster, but obviously you do get to protect, I think, four personnel four players whatever uh in advance for the game that you're having that week uh for lack of better words david moa i mean that's probably just another defensive line thing who cares uh but i'm not saying moa can't play but the focus is on the tight ends i think we're good at defensive line depth and i think the defense knows that tight ends We need blockers, especially if we're going to run the ball down the Broncos' throat. And Ryan Izzo spent some time in New England. Chris Myrick spent some time in Miami. 
two Belichickian-like systems where, you know, they love their tight ends. Not saying they're going to be Gronk or Aaron Hernandez or some of these other guys, but they have an important role. And could both of those guys be better blockers than Evan Ingram? Yeah. I'm definitely also expecting the New York Giants to at least do a couple of jumbo tight end sets. I think that's what you call it. If that's not what you call it, I'm wrong. But basically using Matt Parrott or Nate Solder or Ben Bradison as the extra tackle. And one more thing to note that I actually forgot. Shane Lemieux is not on the injury report. Which means he will be a full go on Sunday. That's pretty impressive. NFL was talking about, oh, it's a torn patella tendon. It's a partially torn. Oh, you know, he's playing. Hopefully the Giants don't make a mistake like they did with Daniel Jones last year. But my point is, he's healthy. That's good for the offensive line. We'll get to see what he looks like. We'll get to see if he made any improvements. I hopefully want to see some other guys, but we'll see. So the practice squad protections for the Broncos are two I know, one I don't know. Uh, quarterback Brett Rippon probably going to be activated maybe as in like an active guy uh, because back in the past before these 16 man practice squads used to have three quarterbacks on a roster now it's two and you could call up a third guy and then make him inactive and so on and so forth Nate Harrison I think they have good enough players in the secondary they don't need another corner but I guess it's depth he used to play for the Colts and the Jets, from what I know of, and Demaria Crockett, running back. So now let's shift into the 2020 stats. Obviously, this is 2020, but some things have and have not changed with these two teams. So you look at 2020 stats for the Denver Broncos. In terms of offense, they were not so good, but in the running game, they got better, or at least were better than the passing offense. Total yards per game, they were 23rd. Passing yards per game, they were 26th. Running yards per game, they were 13th. And points per game, they were 28th. You take a look at the defensive side, which is middle of the pack to near bottom, I would say at least. Total yards per game allowed, 21st. Passing yards per game allowed, 16th. Running yards per game allowed, 25th. And points allowed per game, 25th. The Giants have a game plan. They better attack that running game. We'll talk about it later once again. New York Giants. We all know the stats from last year, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say it. Total yards per game, 31st. Passing yards per game, 29th. Rushing yards per game, 19th. Points, 31st. Defense. Total yards per game allowed, 12th. Passing yards per game allowed, 17th. Running yards per game allowed, 10th. Points allowed per game, 9th. Giants, one of the best defenses. Coming into this matchup, on paper, Denver looks like a really good defense, especially that back end. And that will actually open up the next topic. What to look for and what players to watch. Denver's targets and offensive pieces. 
Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback. We know that. We've known that for about a week, week and a half now. He's a game manager. Everybody knows that. He's got some good weapons, but he's not going to be like Drew Locke and sling it down the field, Patrick Mahomes style, and do this and that and the other thing. But I do have one stat memorized in my head. And that stat is the following stat. Teddy Bridgewater against top 15 defenses in the passing game last year. Eight touchdowns. Six interceptions. Five fumbles. And two of them lost. So, people saying, it's impossible for the New York Giants to force Teddy Bridgewater into a mistake. You can force him into a mistake. You definitely can. And is it going to be tough because he's a game manager and he's not going to give the ball up like Drew Locke would? It's going to be tough. But is it impossible? No. So, I'll give some stats. For Tim Patrick, and I'm not going in order in terms of running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers, and uh, that stuff. But, Tim Patrick... Last year, he started 15 games for the Broncos, 51 receptions, 742 yards, 6 touchdowns, and a catching percentage of 64.6. Take a look at Jerry Judy, who a lot of people considered to have an underwhelming rookie year, despite his route running being good. Now, obviously, Broncos fans are judging that, not me. Jerry Judy, in his rookie year, played all 16 games, started 14, 52 receptions, 856 yards, 3 touchdowns, had a 92-yard reception, which was his longest. That stands out to me, by the way. 46% catch. Not great, especially for a first-round pick. But once again, that's by the stats. I would have to go watch game film of every single target for Jerry Judy. And that's 113 of them. I don't have that time right now. You take a look at the next guy, KJ Hamler. Had 30 receptions, 381 yards, three touchdowns. He started four games last year, played in 13 of them, and a catch percentage of 53.6. Also rushed nine times for 40 yards. Take a look at the next guy. Who I believe is Cortland Sutton. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's Cortland Sutton. He played in one game last year. I'm pretty sure he's coming back from a torn ACL. He had three receptions, 66 yards, two first downs, and a 50% catch. 50 catch percentage, whatever you want to call it. Take a look at the next guy, Noah Fant, who is their top pick from 2019. Tight end. He had 62 receptions, 673 yards, three touchdowns, a 66.7 catch percentage. Started 14 out of the 15 games he appeared in. They take a look at Javante Williams. Obviously, rookie second round pick out of North Carolina. The guy behind him was Michael Carter, who's currently on the Jets. He played in 11 games last year for North Carolina, 157 rushes, 1,140 yards, 
19 touchdowns on the ground, 25 receptions, 305 yards, and 3 touchdowns. And then from scrimmage, obviously, 22 touchdowns, 1,445 yards, 7.3 on the ground per carry. That's pretty good. Uh, you take a look at the next guy, and the final guy we're going to be previewing in terms of the targets and the offensive pieces. Take a look at Melvin Gordon, who spent most of, if not all of his career, in the AFC West with the Chargers and then the Broncos last year. Played in 15 games, started 10, 215 rushes, 986 yards, total of 9 touchdowns. Uh, in terms of yards per carry... He had 4.6 in terms of the receiving game, 32 receptions, 158 yards, and one touchdown. So, you know, those are the stats for the running backs, Melvin Gordon, the offensive pieces. Also to note, Melvin Gordon fumbled four times last year. I don't know how many were lost. Now you take a look at one of the more destructive pieces on that defense. You take a look at their pass rush, which is very important obviously Bradley Chubb last year as I mentioned seven and a half sacks and going back to just looking at the list right now Bradley Chubb I think had a season ending ACL injury or something like that in 2019 that had to be tough for the first year of Vic Fangio not having both of your pass rushers full time but hopefully you know they did something in the offseason at least that I don't know of hopefully they did in their case get a pass rusher so that if Miller or Chubb goes down again. They, they're just not completely depleted at that position. But obviously the secondary should help because they do have a good secondary. With that being said, Bradley Chubb last year played 14 games, started 14 games. One forced fumble, 42 tackles, 7.5 sacks, 9 tackles for a loss, 19 quarterback hits, and 34 quarterback pressures. You take a look at Von Miller. I have to reference 2019 because he was out. For the 2020 season, he played in 15 games, two pass deflections, eight sacks, 46 tackles, 10 tackles for a loss, 20 quarterback hits, and 37 pressures. Now you take a look at the second there. I don't have stats for Simmons and Jackson because obviously different safeties can do different things. And that can be looked up more on film. But Justin Simmons is more of that tackling guy and also interceptions. You know, statistically, he's not great in coverage. But with the secondary they have, they don't need it. They don't need him to cover anybody, really. Um, unless it's like a running back or something like that. We'll see what happens on Sunday. And then Kareem Jackson, he's pretty good as a safety. You know, he's still scratched up there. I think he's in his 30s now, but shots to him. Uh, in terms of their cornerbacks, Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, Patrick Sertain, and Bryce Callahan. Now, apparently, we're not going to see... Patrick Sertain a ton. We're going to probably see Kyle Fuller and Darby more. I don't know what the story is with Bryce Callahan because he was on the trade block. They were talking about trading him to the Steelers, and that fell through. So he probably will play, and if he doesn't play, that's weird. But anyway, Kyle Fuller played for the Bears last year. Another Bears signing for the Broncos, knowing that Vic Fangio is the head coach, former Bears defensive coordinator. Last year, started all 16 games, one interception, one forced fumble, 
eight pass deflections, allowed 46 completions on 83 targets, allowed 11.5 yards per completion, 527 yards, five touchdowns, and a 55.4 completion percentage against passer rating of 89.8 and was sent on one blitz. You look at Ronald Darby, who probably was among the league leaders in pass deflections. He had 16 last year and one fumble recovery, no interceptions. This was really a bounce back year from Ronald Darby because he is a guy that pretty much feels the way the defense feels. He goes on there feeling whatever because in the past, going back to his Eagle days, you know, he would have good seasons and he would have bad seasons because of the defense with the lack of depth at corner and all this other nonsense. But last year, he was the second corner in Washington. He had a pretty good year, not going to lie. Started all 16 games, allowed a total of 53 completions on 98 targets, a 54.1 completion percentage, 715 yards allowed, one touchdown, 81 passer rating. That's decent. That's pretty good, in my opinion. Um, you know, I'm not a passer rating guy. I'm not a freaking cornerback strategist. I'm not a cornerback guru. But those stats compared to his prior two years and some of his years in Philly, they're pretty good. Bryce Callahan, I don't have stats for Patrick Sertain. But Bryce Callahan, two interceptions, five pass deflections, and one fumble recovery. He started 10 games last year, appeared in 10, two interceptions, as I mentioned. Allowed 31 completions on 57 targets, 54.4 completion percentage, 205 yards, no touchdowns, and a passer rating of 47.8. So I honestly don't know why they would want to get rid of him. But listen, I'm not a Broncos fan. I don't know. I'm not in that circle. So I'm not going to act like I am in this circle. So... We have just a few more topics here on the podcast. Questions to answer. This is going to be a fun one. I definitely think so. Will the New York Giants offense get off to a slow start, and will they be at full health? We know Evan Ingram's not playing. Saquon Barkley is likely to be playing, but he's going to be on, my presumption, some sort of pitch count. So it's a possibility that he does you know, get some snaps. Obviously, he will, but it's a possibility he's limited because of the ACL, because they didn't want to, you know, re-injure it. They don't want to test his mental block because when you get injured, when you have a serious injury like that, it blocks you mentally. Sure, your ACL might be repaired and fine, but you don't know if you're going to hurt yourself again. So they don't want to test that or they may not want to test that, but we'll see what happens on Sunday. Um, in terms of the slow start, Kenny Galladay said it. I think Daniel Jones said it. Kadarius Tony might have said it. So, two people said it. That's what I know. Galladay and maybe Jones. And a lot of people are, you know, making content and doing all this. And, you know, oh my God, the Giants offense, you know, slow start. Did you not expect this? I mean, seriously. I'm not saying it's, you know, excusable. No. Because Galladay... You know, it's a little disappointing that he got injured in the preseason, but now he's in for the regular season. Same with Kadarius Tony and Kyle Rudolph. But the cylinders don't click automatically. It's not magic. 
But I do want to credit somebody. That's somebody being Joel Yaddo. He made a recent hype video, and he's been a supporter of the channel. Um, I've talked to him several times, obviously on the channel and different channels, stuff like that. He's a good guy. He's like an old school football guy. He has his own channel. Shouts to Joel Classified 3F with Joel. He said, guys, what are you falling for? This is clearly a smokescreen. That's a possibility. I'm not ruling that out. Now, will they have uh, 100 yards receiving each? Absolutely not. That's not the expectation, and that shouldn't even be the expectation. If it is, then you're an idiot. I'm going to say that right now. But it could be a smokescreen. They could be doing really good in practice, and the beat reporters are not saying anything. You know? So, could there be surprises? Possibly. Could they actually start slow? Yes. Because they have not spent enough time together. At least from what we have seen. How many carries will Saquon Barkley get? And how will he look? Obviously, he's got to test out that ACL. In terms of hard contact. Actually getting hit. You know... Getting covered in the receiving game, if they're going to put him out wide, if they're going to have him come out of the backfield for certain things, if he's going to hit the hole, if he's not going to hit the hole, he's going to be facing live contact. This is a game. This ain't a scrimmage. And we'll see how the Giants play it because Joe Judge said that he's optimistic that he'll be ready at full strength, even though Jason Garrett said he's pretty much 100%. You know, the Giants may want to send another smokescreen to have the haters and the doubters in the beat media basically like, oh my god, he fooled us. This is Joe Judge's thing. Not really his thing, but this is a Belichick thing. He does this a lot. He gives you the small, the simple answers, and then, you know, he fools you on game day. So much that the beat reporters in New England are like, okay, this is normal Bill Belichick. We'll see. Is Nate Solder a better tackle than Matt Parrott, and how will the offensive line play as a whole? That, in my opinion, is the biggest question this game. Daniel Jones, of course. Offense, of course. But... In terms of that, the offensive line has to block for production to be made on the offense. Andrew Thomas, he cannot look like he did in the preseason, especially week three. I mean, he had some bad snaps in the Jets game, but he cannot look the way he did in week three. Or else Daniel Jones isn't getting time. Shane Lemieux, he's coming back now. But how has he looked in practice? We have not been getting any reports. Nick Gates, he's Nick Gates. I don't have any subpar expectations because he's Nick Gates. He's a fighter. He's a good center. He's underrated. But PFF likes to rank him pretty low. But I don't care about PFF. Well, Hernandez, he has to get adjusted to that right side. He played pretty well in the preseason. And I'm excited. But I'm also not going to say he's going to have a big year. Because he's disappointed Giants fans, including myself, in the past. Nate Solder and Matt Parrott. Did the Giants make the right decision in terms of who to start at right tackle? Who will look better? Matt Parrott or Nate Solder? 
Matt Parrott and Will Hernandez, they may have chemistry together because how many times they worked out in the offseason. But Nate Solder and Will Hernandez had chemistry the first two years on that left side. So, Will Hernandez knows both of them. It's not like, you know, they're total strangers to each other. But as a whole, they have to play at least decent for Daniel Jones to get time and for Saquon Barkley to hit the holes. Number four, can Kyle Rudolph and Caden Smith be a two tight end duo and have better production than Evan Ingram? Definitely a possibility in my opinion. We'll see what happens on Sunday, but definitely a possibility. Definitely. Kyle Rudolph, we'll see what he looks like in a Giants uniform, what amount of strength he's at because of the foot injury. Caden Smith, he was so underused in that offense last year. He doesn't get enough credit because he had such a connection with Daniel Jones in his rookie year. Both of their rookie years because they came out of the 2019 class. 2020 season, he didn't even have a touchdown. You know, he had the out routes that he would jump for a first down on. But that's a connection I really want to see more. Will it happen? We'll see. But I definitely think... In terms of the running game, I think definitely these two can bolster the tight end position and be better blockers than Evan Ingram. In terms of the receiving game, that has yet to be seen. Because we don't know what Kyle Rudolph is as a pass catcher here yet. I'm not talking about in Minnesota. Obviously, he was a red zone target. And that's what we need him to be here because the Giants suck in the red zone the last couple of years. Let's be honest. Probably like in the 30s the last couple of years. Whatever. In terms of red zone percentage, of course. Caden Smith, obviously, once again, I want him to be more involved. I want him to get more credit for what he does in terms of blocking. Number five in terms of the offense. Then I'll go to defense. How does Daniel Jones look against the defense? Tough defense on paper. And how does he handle the pressure? Didn't fumble against the Patriots. Was hit multiple times. Was pressured multiple times. There was one play where he had Booker on the crosser, and he didn't throw it. And you can't really make that mistake when you're second year into the system, and this is your third year, prove it year in the NFL. Same thing goes with that interception. You know, people are talking about, well, you know, Evan Ingram should just stayed there and not, you know, led to the back of the end zone. Whatever the case may be, but he should not have thrown that interception. He should either take it himself, throw it away, do something. You can't be making those red zone mistakes when it's just short yardage plays. But you can do it. This is my thing. A lot of people also say this too. But you can do it, even though it's not totally acceptable. It's better that you do it when you're going downfield for longer plays rather than just short plays and then, you know, you're basically at square one again. So, listen, he has some pocket awareness issues that he needs to resolve and we have to see and evaluate whether he's a franchise quarterback or not based on those issues being resolved or not. Now let's get to the defense. Will Adore Jackson be as good as advertised? Well, the first question is, will he play? I think he will play, but, you know, there's a chance he doesn't play. I think he will play, though. He has to look good. 
The Giants gave him a pretty hefty contract. I think it's $39 million over the next three years. So that's, what, $13 million annually. But he gets a lot of bonuses and a lot of incentives this year. And then the next couple of years, obviously, you know, you count the numbers and everything. But he needs to be good. Because the Giants have had ultimate fuck-ups at the corner two position for the longest time now. Eli Apple, DeAndre Baker, Ryan Lewis, Isaac Yadam. Whatever you say, oh, well, you know, he was hated too much, whatever. They have not had a consistent cornerback too. And now that you got somebody who used to be a high pick, now that you got somebody who you could probably make into a better player, he needs to perform. We always talk about, well, it's Gettleman's fault. Well, it's Judge's fault. Well, it's this person's fault. It's on the player too. I say this all the time with the Yankees. And even other people do. You know, we blame Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, but the players need to play and and play up to their expectations. It's just the way it has to be. Adoree Jackson cannot be getting beat in this game. Now, obviously, he'll get beat on maybe like a couple of snaps, but he can't be getting just roasted and toasted. Jerry Judy's a very good route runner. KJ Hamler flashed in the preseason. Cortland Sutton is returning. Tim Patrick, he's a weapon. So they need to control those receivers. Now, are they going to shoot it downfield 600 times a game? No, because it's Teddy Bridgewater. I mentioned that before. But when they do, Adoree Jackson better be there to break it up. Just saying. Number two, who gets the most snaps next to Blake Martinez? Now, I don't know how much they're going to run the football. I don't know how much they're going to pass the football. Probably a 51-49 ratio. If not, they'll probably run the ball more. Maybe pass the ball more. I don't know. But I definitely see, my personal opinion, Tay Crowder getting the most snaps. I'm not saying Carter Coughlin won't be there. I'm not saying that Reggie Raglan won't be there on some snaps. But I think Tay Crowder, at this point, has earned that starting spot. Because Reggie Raglan, you know, he's been in and out, you know... Uh, basically, you know, he didn't show a lot in the preseason, but I'm not going to say, oh, well, you know, he's a terrible linebacker because he's a linebacker too. Giants signed him to be a backup linebacker, and that's what he's going to be, a backup linebacker on this roster, a rotational guy. I don't think there's going to be a set starting linebacker. Now, there could be, but I think they're going to be rotating. Some snaps Coughlin, some snaps Crowder, some snaps Ragland. That is the way I think they will do it, but I'm always open to be a, to being wrong. Number three, how much does Azizo Jalari play, and how much impact does he have? The New York Giants drafted him in the second round, and they still have Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez. They cut Ryan Anderson. Ellerson Smith is on IR. They have a couple of backup pass rushers. They have Quincy Roche, which is another play I'm really excited to see in this game now will he get a shit ton of snaps no because that would be pretty stupid I mean Quincy Roche unless he makes like seven tackles for a loss in a row he's not getting 90% of the snaps but I think Ojalari will factor in there I think he'll get maybe like one or two tackles for a loss maybe a quarterback pressure but I don't think he will do much right away my personal opinion that's me. That's how I think he will impact Sunday's game. 
Can I be wrong? Of course. I would like to be wrong in the equation that he does more, not does less. But I could be wrong on that aspect too. We'll see. Will the Giants be able to force Teddy Bridgewater into making a mistake? Remember that stat I mentioned earlier? Eight touchdowns, six interceptions, five fumbles, and two fumbles lost. They can force Teddy B into a mistake. It's not uncommon. It's not impossible. Is it going to be hard? Pat Shermer, who is a genius offensive coordinator, but he's not a leader of men. He's a genius offensive coordinator. That will probably create some sort of conservative game plan for Bridgewater to attack this defense slowly. But... The Giants, the way they made quarterbacks turn over the ball last year and made different receivers and running backs fumble the football, tells me that they will be able to force the offense in general to make mistakes. Teddy Bridgewater, obviously it starts there at the quarterback position. But the receivers and the running backs can fumble too. So, let's not forget that. Number five. This is... Really important to me, and I don't think enough people are touching upon it. Can the defense replicate the production of Dalvin Tomlinson with Danny Shelton and Austin Johnson? This is going to be a big test, in my opinion. I think they might decrease in terms of production. Just the defense in general from last year. In terms of the run game, I might be wrong. Blake Martinez obviously returns. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, all those guys return. Great, but Dalvin Tomlinson, in my opinion, is irreplaceable in terms of his production. I'm not saying he's the greatest defensive tackle to ever play the game. No, I'm not saying that. But he did stuff, in my opinion, that may be better than what the Giants have to offer right now. And I'm not saying that the preseason counts for everything, but there were some pretty extensive runs against that first team in the Patriots game two I believe by Damian Harris or Ramondre Stevenson and I'm talking the first half fuck the second half the second half backups played talking the first half so we'll see and if they can't find a way to attack the corners passing the ball on a conservative basis they will run the football and if they get successful doing that well might be a long day for the defense we'll see so that's pretty much my questions to ask, questions to answer for the defense and the offense. You'll get five every week. I'll try to keep it like this. Keys to win before my beginning of the season speech. Protect Daniel Jones. It has to be done. The running game, that's number two. But let's talk about protecting Daniel Jones. A lot is on the line this season for the New York Giants. We cannot properly determine... That Daniel Jones is or is not the franchise quarterback of the future. Without seeing him in a clean pocket. Throwing to receivers. Throwing to running backs. Throwing to tight ends. Doing his thing. We cannot properly evaluate him. And if we can't properly evaluate him. I don't know. It's going to be a long season. And it's going to be tough. And I'm certainly not down for a season where Saquon Barkley has to scramble and zigzag for yards. I want the offensive line to build lanes like they did last year. 
ideologically, they only lost really two starters and gained ideally one. Because if you take a look, you gain Nate Solder, you lose Cameron Fleming, you lose Kevin Zeitler, you put Shane Lemieux in full-time, you have Will Hernandez switch over to the right side, and then you have Nate Solder as a right tackle, as I mentioned. That running game was actually pretty good towards the end of the season. Wayne Gallman, Alfred Morris, Deion Lewis, all these other guys. They were pretty good towards the end of the season. I'm not going to lie to you there. So, can we continue that progress? I really would like to. That's in terms of the running game. In terms of the passing game, once again, he needs to be able to have time to throw to receivers and stuff like that. And it's definitely going to be a factor whether Daniel Jones fumbles the football, uh, he takes too long to throw the ball, or he's just not given time and he gets sacked. Either way, all those things are not good. And there's a definite possibility that either one of those three or all of those three happen on Sunday because of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb playing. Now, once again, as I mentioned earlier, Bradley Chubb may not play. But if Von Miller plays or both of them play, expect some production on their end. Expect some pressure and stuff like that. And I'm not saying rule out the other guys as well. They have Draymond Jones. They have Mike Purcell. They have Shelby Harris, who I think just got a fat paycheck, or that might be somebody else. But those are the main guys on the defense. If you could block the three guys I just mentioned, you're good. In terms of the running game, because they were 28th or 25th, I think it was 25th, in terms of defending the run last year. And they really haven't made any changes in terms of that. So, in terms of number three keys to win, defend the back end and get pressure. You defend the back end against these targets, Teddy Bridgewater has less time to throw. But he has more time as well. Because if you defend the back end with Dory Jackson, Darnie Holmes, he has to perform. Put aside the Dory and what I said earlier. Darnie Holmes has to perform. We don't have another slot cornerback. Sam Beal didn't really work out in 2019 as a slot guy. More of an outside guy. But Darius Williams, they placed him in the nickel a couple of times. And, you know, in terms of that, he, he just, he's not a nickel corner. I know I'm rambling for like 20 seconds here, but he's not a nickel corner. He's an outside corner. Josh Jackson, we don't even know what he's going to do. He's probably all special teams. Julian Love can play that position. So if Darnie Holmes struggles, Julian Love can jump in and say, hey, listen, I could be your slot corner. He was pretty good at that in Notre Dame. And, you know, he did okay as a cornerback last year. Not in the greatest position because Isaac Yadam was there and that was the Browns game and also the, uh, the, the Cowboys game. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. We definitely need that slot corner position to get better. Darnie Holmes, obviously, exclusively I'm talking about. But, once again, defend the back end, get some pressure. That's what I'm saying. Get the pressure there. You could send more blitzes on third down. You could force Teddy B to make a mistake or get sacked or throw the ball away. That's better. That gives the offense more time to run the football, pass the football, do what you want. Now... To end off this podcast episode, I'm not all for speeches. I don't do speeches. I probably have never done one on the podcast episode before. 
But this is something I wrote, even though I'm taking a fundamental public speaking class in college right now, this is something I wrote in terms of my feelings towards the upcoming season. And then we'll end off the podcast and stuff like that. So here it goes. There's a lot on the line this season. The Yankees are currently garbage. And if you're a Yankees fan, you're looking for hope in a New York City team. However, we're not talking about the tankies here. The Giants have a ton of expectations, and they need to prove their worth. They need to prove the doubters wrong, but need to show the fans they're worth something. Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, the coaching staff, the Mara Integrity, and the players have their jobs on the line. With Dave Gettleman, he has made many good and many questionable moves. Some of you can argue that set this team back a couple of years. Not that the personnel isn't getting any flack, but he buys the goods and the head coach cooks them. I was done with Dave after 2019, but I stayed patient. Dave Gettleman's job lies on three players, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Andrew Thomas. All high draft picks with lots of value spent on them. Jones has a prove-it year as the franchise quarterback or the potential franchise quarterback. Saquon Barkley, will he stay healthy and is he worth the moolah? Andrew Thomas, is he the true shield for Daniel Jones' blind side on a long-term basis? Joe Judge's coaching career is on a seesaw, but it does not look as if he will be fired after 2021. If the Giants go 8-9 or 7-10 and and miss the playoffs, he likely stays for 2022 with a new general manager. However, if the Giants go 6-11, 5-12, or 4-13, he's gone and the house will be cleaned. The New York Giants have not started 2-0 or even 1-0 since 2016. They need to make that change on Sunday, and hopefully they will. They need a good start. For someone who hated football at the age of 10, and now is a part-time content creator for a football team, his favorite football team, my favorite football team, I have a lot of passion, bias, and unbiased towards this football team. Let's go out there and kick some Bronco ass on Sunday. If you guys haven't already, hit that like button, comment, subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops or drops. Keep listening to this podcast if you're on a podcast platform. I want to give a quick shout out because I did not expect this to happen. All of my new Yankee viewers, I thank you so much if you're watching this video. Because I don't know if all you guys are football fans, giant fans, whatever. Thank you so much. Within the last week... Three to four of my Yankee videos have gotten at least 100 views. And some of my videos, and I'm not really putting out a pity speech here, but some of my videos don't get 100 views. That's mostly 70 to 80% of my videos. But I definitely thank the people that have come along and have started agreeing with what I have been saying about the Yankees. And I don't really include that stuff 
for the Giants podcast, but I just want to send out my appreciation and that I hear you and I see you guys commenting, liking, subscribing, stuff like that. So, with that being said, y'all, peace out. See you later. Most of all, go Giants. Let's get a win on Sunday. And real quickly for a score prediction, I have the New York Giants winning 24-21 against the Denver Broncos, moving to 1-0, and possibly getting first place in the NFC East. Peace out, y'all. Have a fun Sunday.